You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we talk about what's happening beneath the surface in music, how innovation and technology are changing everything about the seismic shifts and everything that's merging and things that are unexpected. I'm Dimitri Vitsa, your host. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And I'm going to kibitz from the side, but I'm handing the reins over to you, Tristra. Hi, I'm Tristra Meyer Jaeger, the strategist and writer at Rock, Paper, Scissors. And with us today, we have the CEO and chairman of Dubset, Stephen White. Uh, hey, Stephen. Hello, hello. Hey, so... Uh, Dubset, can you give us a one-sentence intro for laypeople into what you guys do and what your basic model is? Sure. We're a platform that enables the clearance and legal distribution of any modified audio with a heavy focus on DJ mixes and unofficial remixes. Cool. And I know this has been a long um, and somewhat arduous project you put years into and so I was curious, you've got to have a lot of passion to power through some of the difficulties in a licensing startup. So I was wondering, what was one of the first remixes or mixes that you heard back in the day that stuck with you and that kind of turned you on to how powerful this kind of music could be? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys even know this, but um, I studied and got my degree in hip hop. I got my degree... Uh, and Afro-American studies with a focus on hip-hop and house music. <clears throat> and I did that because um, I really was taken by how different uh, hip-hop was than anything I had experienced before uh, as a young, you know, budding student. And was really just amazed by how the, the content type um, really engaged fans in a, in a very different way as this kind of call and response and spoken word based art form. And so, you know, I, I really got into very early the idea of the DJ and what the DJ did and their role uh, in creating this environment of this call and response and, and, and really engaging the audience and how much they were involved in doing that. And it, it, it really, is the foundation of everything we do here at Dubset is this strong belief that the DJ is a huge part of hip hop culture, dance culture, electronic music culture, and has really been under recognized from our perspective because they haven't had the ability to distribute content. And so I'm not really answering your question of that one remix, you know, <laughs> that really stayed with me and sparks this all because it really wasn't one. It was kind of all. Um, and it was just this, this love for DJs and what DJs do and love for DJ culture. That's great. And uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of ironic because uh, sometimes in the industry, the it's often referred to as derivative content, you know, remixes, mix, mixes and uh, DJ sets. And that really doesn't seem to do it justice. Um, and so to be kind of a kind of a derogatory term and so i was wondering if you could uh shine some light for us on how you feel mixes and remixes and other the other kinds of content that dubset dubset licenses how they express dj creativity or um, a musician's ear for that matter i mean djs are some of the most creative musicians in the world um 
they they often have broad understandings of music that span you know decades and span musical styles and their ability to you know create a musical journey for you as a listener um, is really unlike anything that you can find anywhere else. It's something that cannot be duplicated by any machine that can't be duplicated by any playlisting technologies or recommendation technologies. You know, the great DJs create an experience unlike any other, and they do so by, by surprising you, by taking you, taking left turns when you think they should be going right, you know, by going faster when you think they should be going slow. Uh, and, and, and they really, you know, introduce you to content uh, through that journey that you may have never experienced before. And even if you have experienced it, experienced it in a new way, you know, being re-envisioned and rethought. And so it's, I mean, again, the passion for what DJs do for me is, is so strong, but it, it really comes from the place of them as kind of the consummate musician and the consummate music curator and putting together those two things in a way that I think is unlike anything else you'll find in music. That's awesome. Um, one challenge that you guys face and that DJs face though, is how to monetize what you do. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you now a little bit about the business side and specifically, you know, there's kind of a thought out there that if you license derivative content, you're kind of just shifting the beans around. Um, you're kind of changing who gets paid um, and by, by services, and it doesn't necessarily increase the entire revenue for the industry or the, the, you know, doesn't make the pie any bigger. Um, how do you agree with that? And what's your perspective? Absolutely not. <laughs> we don't agree with that. I mean, what <laughs> what um, what we're really focused on is how do you bring fans of, of DJ content into the world of paid music consumption? You know, today DJs, because of these copyright issues and and the complexity of trying to legitimately clear and distribute this content, these fans have been relegated to free ad-supported content consumption sites. If you want to listen to this type of content, you spend 100% of your time on YouTube and SoundCloud and not on the SoundCloud paid tier, on the SoundCloud free tier. And so, you know, by its nature, that means we've created a pie that is tiny as it relates to DJ content and DJ culture. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring that content into the world of paid subscriptions and in doing so bring those consumers who want that content into the world of paid, you know, paid subscriptions. If you're, if you're a fan of this content, there's, there's no reason for you to subscribe to these services today. Your content's not there. And so we have to create better experiences in the paid subscription world for fans of this content so that we can go from the, you know, 150 million subscribers today of paid services to 750 million to a billion to get close to what television has done, you know, by making broad sets of content available and not limiting people to just the content that the labels or the services think you want to hear, give you access to all the content that exists so you can consume it however you want to consume it. 
And so we, we fundamentally believe we are making the pie bigger by bringing 650 million consumers who are being underserved into the world of paid subscriptions. How big uh, monetarily, if you have a, if you like to present a guesstimate to this uh, for that, um, how big is the pie in, in monetary terms, do you think? Uh, you know, we estimate it to be one to $3 billion a year in potential revenue. You're talking about 650 million consumers. Um, the DJ, the world of DJ content is massive. Um, there are, by our estimates, 55 million DJs worldwide, 5 million professional DJs, 50 million amateur DJs. They create on average, you know, two mixes a month. That's 24 mixes a year across those 55 million DJs. If you look at the makeup of a mix, the average mix is 60 minutes long. That's the equivalent of 14 songs. So you start to do some math on that. You know, the DJ community creates 18 billion songs worth of content every year. The entire history of recorded music and distribution right now is 60 million songs. So you're talking about 300 times the entire history of recorded music that's created every year by DJs. Clearly not all of that content, you know, deserves to be distributed. If even if it was distributed, not all of it is going to be consumed, but even small fractions of this is, you know, billions of dollars of incremental revenue for the industry. That's pretty impressive. Uh, um, there's a lot of changes going on on the macro level in the music industry and, and sort of in the copyright and content worlds um, writ large. So as you guys have really been able to get some traction with major label deals, with um, you know software and, and audio platform deals like with Serato, with SoundCloud, um, and those seem to have come in pretty quick succession in the last few years. I was wondering if there was uh, any particular change or trend you could point to that you feel has really worked in your favor um, besides just the incredible amount of content and underserved market, have there been changes in the business that you've been thinking about that have really, you know, helped you a lot as you've tried to secure these these partnerships? Yeah, well, there's been a, a few tectonic shifts to to stay on brand here. I think the, you know, the first one for us was Sony, the Sony agreement and the Sony license, and we give, you know, huge kudos to Dennis Cooker and his team over at Sony for being the first major label to take the step off the ledge with us and to, you know, give us the opportunity to show Sony what we could do by putting their catalog, you know, trusting us to be shepherds of their catalog with DJs. Um, that allowed us to start to deliver some very meaningful content into market. And it, it allowed us to really show our distribution partners, Apple, Spotify, Tidal, et cetera, that there was the ability to really clear and distribute some real content. And, you know, once that happened, that really is what um, enabled the next tectonic shift. And that next tectonic shift was Apple, you know, embracing mixed content and creating a space for it inside of, of Apple Music. Many people may not know this if you're not an Apple Music user, but Apple has created now a full genre um, that is all DJ mixes and live sets. It's the first genre they've added to their service in quite some time. And it really, it's a really meaningful step forward for DJs and DJ culture 
that, a, a, you know, the number one music service in the U.S. and the number two music service in the world has now dedicated this space, you know, and given real estate to DJ content in a way that's never happened before. And again, big kudos to Oliver Schuster and the team over at Apple that's been hugely, hugely supportive of Dubset and very helpful in, in moving forward the mission that we're on. Um, those two things really have been the kind of two giant steps forward in uh, helping to convince the rest of the label and publisher partners that we have that this is real, that we have real technology that can solve these problems, that they can trust us with their content, and it's not going to result in you know millions of crappy pieces of content, UGC content being uploaded that doesn't really do justice to their, their content catalogs and that concerns their artists. And then on the service side and for the consumer, given this stuff real focus and space, it's, it's hugely important to help people find this content, understand what it is, and start to realize that it, it is really uniquely different than listening to a playlist or listening to an album or listening to a single record. The DJ experience, listening to a DJ mix is, you know, buckle up, sit back, you know, put on your headphones and be ready for an hour long, you know, musical journey that is just amazing and awesome. And you can do that while you're working out, while you're running, while you're in the car, while you're home, wherever you are that you want to take that journey. It really is a very different experience where... You know, a DJ is going to play things for you in a way that you've never heard before. It's interesting because um, in a way, the whole playlisting phenomenon has sort of extracted the personality element of music curation from the listener experience. Whereas when it's a DJ, that personality is still in there. It's still inserted into that experience. And people follow DJs. They're looking for mixes by specific DJs. Um, and uh, it's interesting how you, what Dubset's creating could help the streaming listener get back to that sense of curation as opposed to a little bit more of a, a stiff kind of sequence of tracks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is really interesting because, you know, listen, the, the algorithmic stuff has been amazing. And I think things like, you know, the Spotify playlisting approach you know, I listen to my new music Friday, you know, playlist every Friday. I, I, I want that experience because it, it, it is meaningful to me to have someone, you know, create a set of content algorithmically and tell me, hey, this is the set of stuff that you're probably going to like out of this world of 60 million tracks. But it is entirely a different experience than listening to a DJ mix. And I, I find DJs who I believe in their style and I, and I understand what they're going to do. When I turn on a Jazzy Jeff mix, I know I'm going to hear sets of content that I already know. And I'm also going to hear some things reimagined and different, very different than when I turn on, you know, a, a mix from a Latroit or, you know, someone like that who's going to introduce me to a whole set of music I've never heard before because I'm not, you know, by background, a big house guy. Right. And, and so you, you, you can tap into personalities in a way that you really can't with the algorithms. The algorithms, you know, are always going to be a bit cold from that perspective and just give you, you know, these lists that, you know, some of it may work, some of it may not, 
um, but you don't really get any personality coming through it. You know, the DJ, you're always going to get a sense of personality. These DJs, their personality comes through, their style comes through everything that they do. That's that's really uh, an important point. And I, it segues really well into the question that I've been wanting to ask you actually this whole time, which is a little bit speculative. So thinking forward the next three to four or five years, maybe 10 years, um, how is mixed music going to change? What's the future look like? And um, what what new opportunities might exist for DJs and what new interesting use cases, new places, new styles might um, might be available for listeners? Yeah, well, there, I mean, there's a lot happening on that front. I think one of the things that's most exciting in the DJ world is some of the advances with DJ equipment and some of the things that folks like Rain are doing and, and others to remove, you know, your your need to use, you know, a traditional turntable you know, removing the needle so that, you know, you can, you, you remove for scratching DJs, you remove that whole apparatus from having to worry about if your needle is going to skip or if, you know, you hit the, the arm of the, of the needle on the turntable as you're scratching, um, that kind of stuff is just advancing so rapidly. And, and it's been really amazing to see what DJs do with that stuff, especially some of the real turntablists. Um, the software has continued to just improve and get better and better and better. You know, the folks at Serato and Tractor, you know, they continue to just make huge advances in the software that DJs use. The, the really exciting thing there now is they're starting to plug in the music services so that you can directly DJ, you know, from Spotify, from Apple Music, from SoundCloud, it allows you to have access to just a tremendous amount of music that, you know, you're not going to have resident local on your hard drive. Um, and it just, you know, unshackles the DJ even more to be able to use much larger sets of content than they've ever been able to use before. And then, you know, obviously from our perspective, the ability to then record and distribute all of that stuff in really meaningful ways so that a broader set of people can start to see the real brilliance of what DJs do, um, you know, we think is the other piece of the puzzle of just bringing ubiquitous access to this content and really giving DJs the ability to have a voice as artists that they, they haven't before because they've kind of had to hide in the shadows um, because a lot of that distribution yeah. until now was illegal and was, was wrought with risk for the DJ of, you know, financial ruin. You know, one copyright infringement is $150,000, you know, with knowledge behind it and a knowledge qualifier, it's trebled. So it's times three, you know, you think about that across an hour long DJ mix with 30 different songs in it, you know, you're talking about millions of dollars of potential liability with one DJ mix. And so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting part of the culture and there's a lot of um, analogies here to cannabis you know, like the thing that you used to have to hide inside and do, you know, in, in the dark, you know, like now you're able to come out and do this out in the real world, you know, without the worry of, of it being illegal anymore. It's a very, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of freedom that comes with that, but there's also a lot of learned behaviors that we have to kind of work through and retrain people to think differently about, you know, how they act because they don't have to, they don't have to hide in the dark anymore. 
It, it made me think when you were talking about using the streaming services to then um, make your own DJ sets. Uh, it, made, it reminded me of what's happened in a lot of uh, production circles with YouTube and grabbing like a Chinese folk song, like a, a hit from a, an instrument and putting it into your your um, beats and things like that. So it could be a real, um, I don't know, motivator for people to try to really explore outside of genre, which I know a lot of crate diggers have always loved doing. This could like, you know, escalate that process. Absolutely. And Splice, you know, I should have mentioned Splice. Splice is also some of the things that Splice is doing to make, you know, samples and drum loops and um, instrumentation available, you know, at scale in such a simple way and making the DJ software, you know, available where you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay thousands of dollars as an entry point. You can start using it on a, you know, on a monthly subscription model. Those things, they've just lowered the bar for anybody to try this stuff. There's no reason for you, if you've ever wanted to be a DJ, now is the time to, to, to try. And I know we've gone through some cycles where everybody's a DJ and everybody's trying to be, but listen, creating music is a beautiful thing and it, it feeds your soul. And if you have any inclination to do it, it's easier now than it's ever been in the history of time. And there's really no reason for anybody not to try, not to experiment, and not to receive the joy of, of feeding your soul through creation. Uh, and that's why content creation has exploded the way it has over the last couple of years. It'll be interesting to see as well as those barriers uh, to entry for DJing continue to increase access. Uh, what other genres there might be DJs for? Because that's the other thing is you've seen kind of like a transfer of the DJ culture curation approach from genre to genre. But there's lots of genres where you haven't seen it necessarily or you haven't seen it take on its own sort of artistic and aesthetic um, kind of vantage point. So you think in country music? I was thinking <laughs> classical music. That I was, too. you know, or also cross genre too, in a way that's, you know, I think sometimes, yeah, like on the one hand, you say, well, it's no longer something that you hide from public eye like cannabis. Sometimes you think, oh, well, that means that it might not be as gritty. But then on the other hand, you get another new level of experimentation where now somebody else has access to it. And so there some really other cool, weird stuff could happen that, that create unexpected art forms. I mean, to extend the cannabis metaphor a little bit, you've got, you know, if you think about the way it's uh, marketed in places where it's legal, you got some of more like mom and pop feeling places that are a little gritty. And then you have the fancy like iPhone yep. store, you know, Apple store type uh, venues, and you've got edibles of all different kinds. Anyway, so I think, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not to say that, you know, uh, mixes are all gonna get all white and shiny or, um, you know, only come in one flavor, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we've got content across all genres. We've got country mixes, we've got, you know, a tremendous amount of Latin content and Latin mixes. We do have classical mixes. You've got a lot of stuff happening in rock and roll and heavy metal mixes. I mean, I think the, the reality is mixing content uh, at its core, you know, works across any musical genre. And what's really interesting is when you start to see some of the cross-genre stuff, where you start to see you know, classical bleed into rock, bleed into some of the open format stuff that people are doing where they're really the, the, the traditional lanes are being obscured away. That's where it gets really exciting and really cool. And you start to see some real experimentation where 
you know, people are just trying things and trying things without having to worry about it because, you know, you, it's not like you can only have 10 things up in your SoundCloud account. You know, you can, you can put out whatever you want to put out and, you know, not worry about is it legal or not. And so you can sample from, you know, vast libraries. We've got 55 million songs under license. You've got lots to play with. Thank you, Stephen. This has been a really fun chat and you've made me want to go out and actually listen to some heavy metal and country music. <laughs> I'll send you guys some links or some really good ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'll, I'll, we'll be heading out to Music Biz in Nashville coming up here later in the week. Uh, you, you're going to be there, Stephen? Yes, I will be there. Our Chief Strategy Officer, Bob Barbieri, is speaking on a panel there. We'll have our licensing teams there, our product teams there. It's a great show. Um, we're very excited to be part of it and look forward to seeing everyone in Nashville. And then Meetem's coming up. Uh, you've got someone there as well, right? Yeah, IMS before that, which is a big dance music show uh, in Ibiza. We'll have teams there, and then we'll also have teams at Meetem in Hong. You go to a lot of conferences. Do you like conferences? You get good business done there. I mean, listen, it's great. It's a it, the music in the music industry. Conferences are a great uh, place to you know very quickly and easily see a bunch of your customers and partners. Um, they're always you know great events and they're usually surrounded by some good music. So that's also a great part of it all. Well, that's good because we went out on a limb and we're starting a conference, Music Tectonics. You know about it, Stephen. It's October 28th and 29th in Los Angeles and excited you're going to be there. Very excited to be part yeah, of it. Glad to have you part of it as well. So if you're interested in learning more about Music Tectonics, the blog, the podcast, or the conference, just go to musictectonics.com. You can find Stephen White all over the place on the internet and Dubset as well. Is there any, any shout outs to any places you want to have people look for you? You got a favorite social media platform or anything, Stephen? Is it LinkedIn? Well, you know, I'm on all of them, but uh, you can find me uh, sweight 415 on Twitter. You can find me uh, on Facebook and then Dubset and Mixbank uh, at Mixbank at Dubset, uh, both Twitter and Facebook. Awesome. Stephen, thank you so much. Tristra, thanks for taking the reins. No problem. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, for bearing with us. See you in Nashville. <laughs> See you in Nashville. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Listening to music tectonics.